Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary with me, Russell Brown. This week I spoke with Jay and Kestrel Oakwood. Jay and Kestrel Oakwood are specialists in shamanism. They run the Bridget Healing Centre, which is a centre for shamanic studies and spiritual empowerment and Glastonbury's most established healing centre. They're a non-profit company that's been a pillar of the local community for over 25 years. In addition to offering one-on-one healing sessions and group retreats, they run an internationally recognised year-long training course called Call of the Shaman. You can find out more at bridgethealingcenter.co.uk and I will tell you now that I know Jane Kestrel and they're such lovely, warm, magical, giving, sweet grandparents of paganism that you'll adore them uh, as I do. Here's some... uh, Comments on the Muji episode. Plant the awesome. Subscribed to be able to listen to this. Have been waiting for this interview for a long time. Thank you. Guided Light 8. My love to Muji.official. A beautiful soul. Bringing goodness on this planet. Songwriter of Real Issues says, Hello. I felt really deeply about this podcast and uh, it was very powerful. I have some experiences with meditation. It made me aware of my inner child and she was in pieces and crying. Now I have let forgiveness into my heart and me inner child feels peace. Well, thank bloody God for that. No one wants a crying inner child. I'm glad you're getting some healing there, mate. James underscore Wood underscore 1864. This is so special, just what I need. Alonif123. That was a truly beautiful interview. Felt with heart ears rather than mind ones. Heart ears. I don't like the idea of a heart with ears on it, like when they grafted an ear onto that mouse's back. Do you remember that, Jen? Yeah, you were involved, I suspect. <laughs> sort of weird thing you'd do. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, well, let's get into um, Jay and Kestrel now. Beautiful Glastonbury uh, shaman, but uh, they do just say in the uh, in the podcast that that is a title you never bestow on yourself. Though I have been called... What about the shaman? They call themselves that, don't they? That group, shaman. <laughs> don't you remember the shaman? Oh. You remember, don't you, Char- <laughs> Charlie? <laughs> Poor Jen. Okay, it went like that. Anyway, don't worry about that for now, because <laughs> I want you just to sign up to my uh, russellbrand.com mailing list. We're doing live events to raise money for a v- variety of wonderful causes. We're done, uh, doing about a Zoom call every couple of weeks. They're about every couple of weeks, are they, Charlie? About every couple of weeks. Next one coming up is for... Well, we don't know. This might have already happened by the time this podcast is out. Anyway, there'll be another one soon. And they're all raising money for charities like Treasures that help women that have you know, had drug abuse issues and the problems that are associated with that. And who else did we do one? BAC, O'Connor, we've done it for. We'll do, we do, we're basically just going through life trying to help people. A bit like a... Little guy, what do you mean? Why are you shaking your head? You don't even know what I'm going to say. A bit like some. No, you don't even know what I'm going to say, Jen. So I shake it. What do you think I'm going to say? Guy from the old days, very kind, sometimes a little bit controversial. <laughs> he wore a lolly long blanket and he had lolly long hair. Did he wear a blanket? Probably. I don't know. Why what, would what he did? wear a blanket? It's freezing, wasn't it, in Palestine? In yeah, them it's really cold <laughs> Absolutely <over there. laughs> bitter in Nazareth. <laughs> All right, anyway, look, and get in touch with social media using, you know, you know how to do that. I can't explain everything to you. Now, let's get into Jay and Kestrel, lovely shaman that they are. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Jay and Kestrel Oakwood, welcome to Under the Skin. Thank you. Thank you, Russell. Good to see you. I mean, we've been friends a long time now, but for the people listening um, between you, and I'll leave it to you to decide how to answer in terms of which one of you wants to take the lead on which particular questions, but could you explain a little about shamanism and what you do to our listeners? Well, shamanism is the oldest way of working with the spiritual on the whole planet. Mm. So every culture has a shamanic basis within itself. Vestiges of shamanism have gone into various religions, etc. So it has always been around because it really works. And there is no one way of doing shamanism. There are different ways of doing shamanism. The shaman really is the one who can male or female can go into the other realms 
either in relation to healing, to get information, to help the community, which would have been obviously the tribe originally, but would have been, but nowadays it's the greater community. Um, so it is something that has lasted because it works, basically. Yeah. When do you say vestiges of it are found in uh, contemporary religions and perhaps elsewhere in modern cultural life? Can you give us a couple of examples of, say, how in Christianity there are vestiges of shamanism and, and Islam and Judaism? A few sort of like, I don't know, popular Western... Yeah, I guess in, in a sense, in, in Christianity, you've got Jesus on the cross, yeah. which is very much like the shaman's initiation, where the shaman hangs on the world tree to get information from, from about the different worlds and brings them into being. There's Jesus going out into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil, where he finds his true spirit force. That's almost like a, a shamanic, what we call sitting out or vision quest. Um, then Buddha, he became enlightened under the world tree and the shamanic tradition is centred around the world tree, the symbol of it and a physical tree. Yeah. Is there the significance of the tree that are that kind of as above, so below, roots and branches stuff? And I was thinking about um, what you said there about Christ. I've heard like an analysis of the crucifix being that it's uh, the vertical plane, the horizontal plane, you know, our human material lives here on this plane, but we need to be aware of ascension and descent. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the world's tree has always had a map of three levels. The roots are like the lower world. The central trunk is like this world here. The upper world is the heavenly realm. And then you've got the four directions on the um, horizontal level. Four directions, four elements. Time and space meeting. Three levels of consciousness in psychology, higher consciousness, central consciousness, unconsciousness. Mm. So all of those ways meet in that particular way. So Christ on the, on the, on the cross is like Christ on the tree, connecting all those realms together. How do you deploy shamanism what is that what are the techniques that you use and what traditions do you draw from we are very eclectic in our shamanic way we are not really of any one particular tradition even though we honor the traditions of the land of britain which would be an anglo-celtic um, traditions which comes from the land but we have also connected into other shamanic cultures. So what we're, we're accessing is, is a bit like the heart of shamanic wisdom. Mm -hmm. And our shamanism is very much to do with healing. And it's very much also to do with bringing a spiritual energy through as well. And if we were to just be of one way with our shamanism, we couldn't sit as we do. We live in Glastonbury and so many people are attracted to come to Glastonbury for various different reasons, from various different cultures. And so weaving an eclectic uh, cloth, should we say, is a real good mm. way of being able to appeal to every different person with very different thought forms, very different beliefs. So yeah. that's why we've travelled different parts of the world to weave this together so we can sit with anyone. From any traditions or none at all. Yeah, yeah. You, you've listed. You've said like level shifting is one aspect of shamanism, and also healing. What are the other functions of shamanism, particularly in a contemporary materialist society where sort of spirituality, spirituality has been marginalised, and the new orthodoxy is scientific materialism, and, and much in religion is discarded as sort of fiction and insubstantiated and dogma i think the shaman also apart from the healing side would be the one with their seeing ability to give guidance to individuals within the tribe mm. but also the society in general so a lot of our work is about people finding their true purpose and finding ways to imbue that purpose out within there also the shaman was always how this would work with now is almost like that link towards nature and that respect and that balance of nature which the world really needs because of the way that we are screwing things up in the natural kingdom but also then it creates a way of like a communion with the sacred a way of really feeling that you can connect to the spiritual realm through nature as nature being the portal that connects to other realms and dimensions. I think also third world problems need third world answers. So we work with shamanism in a way that is grounded, but also can help people with all sorts of issues, not just as in eons ago, it was how am I uh, 
how is my crop going to work? How am I, where will I plant it? How will I plant it? When is the right time? Whereas because we live here in this country, that's not a question that really gets asked very much now. So it's an adaption to all the different needs of each person that come, which is so different for each person. And also nowadays shamanism is is more contemporary because it's bringing the psychological realm and that old realm together. We work a lot with the psychological realm. We work Mm. at helping people to address blocks and causes of blocks and, and release those energies as well. So we're working with quite original techniques where, which are bringing those universal shamanic principles through, but applied in a way that works for people in the 21st century, basically. And I feel that anything that works, someone, some way is going to slam it down. Someone, some way is going to want to prove that something doesn't work. This doesn't work, but this works better. Follow this way, because this is better. But this is so old and so ancient, and it still is alive. We were in Nepal uh, earlier on this year, just before all this happened, and it's it might be silent, but it's alive. We were working with a shaman there who is very much practising his art in the way they would have practised thousands of years ago. Nothing much has changed for those. It's just that in the Western world, our issues and our problems have. So this is why we put healing into it so that we can really help with spiritual, mental, emotional and physical issues of people because that's what people are dealing with now, especially in this, what's happened at this very time that we're living in. I was just thinking then when you... about scale about in the origins of these traditions as you um said jay you would be dealing with a tribe and with like agricultural problems that were quite local to a particular group of people in a particular time and location and now as you know i live in actually sort of a rural area and there is a different sort of sense of community particularly among the people that work in sort of farming say you know for me obviously i'm a peripheral i'm an outsider um but like but now when most of us have identified primarily as individuals and and sometimes through sort of different uh at least geographically diffuse diffuse identity groups what is your point of access that's one part of my question because you've indicated it might be you know through sort of psychology and i just sort of wondered how that works and and the other part of my question is is how are these traditions held where is this wisdom held it's particularly when it comes down to techniques and actual stuff that you can do i think a lot of it is held in the heart it's held in love it's held in a necessity and a need to want to help people. It's being of service in any way which works. Anything that works that can make a difference in someone's life is a technique if you want to use it, but it is a beautiful thing to help someone come in into us for a session, for example, who is suffering with all sorts of things going on for various different reasons. They, I can't identify the access point until I know the person, till I've sat with them, till they've unwound a bit, and then the healing can begin. It depends on that person's particular belief system which they come in with, yes. which when we're sitting with that person, and both of us have seeing skills, which means we've got that ability to use that energy, but in a grounded way to sort of hone in on particular issues that a person has, looking at what may be the cause of blocks and conditions that they have, looking into programming, etc. Also, shamanism works with soul loss, Yes. which psychology does, doesn't necessarily deal with, where we can lose bits of our fundamental essence and you can work on the, if you like, the psychological aspect of the block. But if that soul part is still missing, it's still going to be there until that part actually returns. How, how do you ritualise something that seems so abstract and by its nature mystical? If someone like, say, if I came to you and said, I feel like, you know, I'm sad or I'm full of fear or I'm lost. How do you turn that into something technical when it's so mystical? We could look into, we could work with something which is called healing regression, which Mm -hmm. is literally taking a person back to the cause of where, say, that sadness originated. And that would Mm. mean reliving that memory and then we would use our shamanic tools we we have ways of working with the person to release the emotion that may be held in there Mm. we would look into the mental aspect the thought forms etc that are connected maybe with that sadness and then we would look into okay is there any soul part that's missing as part of that and of course we work with energy sound a lot in in the work that we do so in a way we, we encompass all of this together um but we're going to where causes are, mm. 
Because if you go where the causes are, you know, it's a more efficient way of getting into something and re releasing it. Whereas if you go to all the effects, mm. sometimes that could take years. We have lots of people who come who've had major operations and they've had fantastic support from all the hospitals, doctors and various things, miracle workers that have performed these incredible operations. But they've always come and thought, it's just something I, I am, I'm missing. And it's the spiritual. They need the spiritual help. They want the spiritual healing. They want the spiritual, mental, emotional, physical to be balanced rather than just the physical. And so there are many different reasons. And I don't think, I don't know about you, Cashel, that they're very different from years ago, eons ago, to today. People have trouble with relationships. People have trouble with their selves. People have trouble with addiction, yeah. with work, with patterns. A very similar pattern will lie through everyone. We are, we are human beings, aren't we? So we're all really similar. It's just the intensity is different in one to the other, maybe. The proof the scientists want, I don't think anyone's been asked. Apart from, I think, if I recollect, in certain countries years ago, they would test a shaman, they would take him up in the aeroplane. If you can fly, they'd say, jump. And of course, many shamans died That's because they had to prove <laughs> that they couldn't fly, but they could work on other levels. So but that day, those days are gone, thankfully. So if a scientist wanted to come and ask, how do you do this? Or stick things in our ears and listen to how we do it, then so be it. But until this yeah, time, we haven't been asked. <laughs> we'll be into it. The proof for us is, uh, if you want proof, but I don't think that's what you're actually asking, is the reaction of people months after. Yeah. And how they are and how they've changed and the growth and so on that occurs. Yeah, we get that feedback and people's life has changed through the help we may have given them. But it's really all our work is about getting people in touch with them, with who they really are yes. and then finding how they apply that out there in the world in this time of great change and transformation. So, yeah. yeah. And because ha. we've been doing it so long. I think there's proof. <laughs> right, yes, yes. Um, may I ask for each of you individually how, how you, you know, became shaman, presumably come from like non-shamanic backgrounds, like I'm guessing like normal British kind of families. Well, that's British. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that's British. That's the be beginnings of colonialism. First do the countries near. I mean, we've all been colonised, haven't we, psychically? But anyway, what my question is, how did you transition from, you know, like secular modern lives to shamanism? Well, the first thing to, to say is that we would never call ourselves shaman no. because shaman is a title that you earn by your service to the community and then other people call you a shaman so we would never call ourselves a shaman so that's the title that you earn um, in my own case when I was a, a young boy I was so open with my senses that I could not be around other children because if I were around other children I could actually hear their thoughts I could feel their emotions and I was in total chaos they used to take me to child psychiatrists to try and find out what was wrong with me. And the only refuge I found was I would, I was living in Hertfordshire at that time in, in the home counties. I would wander out in nature and I'd have all these amazing things happen with foxes, with hares, with birds. I didn't know what the hell shamanism was obviously in those days, but it gave me a refuge. Then as I grew up, I was a child of the punk revolution. So the punk revolution came and suddenly I was going there Pogo into the damned or the sex pistols, but there's something that made me think, oh, I've got to question society, question life. So more of that, if you like that more mental side came. I started to show an interest in, in healing. I got into the runes, but I had these skills, but they were like erratic. One minute they'd be there, another minute they wouldn't. Um, and then I moved to Glastonbury about 32 years ago and I gave everything up to come to Glastonbury didn't have anywhere to live, lived in a tent in an orchard, wondered why I was there, went through this absolutely strange sort of illness um, where I felt I was really getting weaker and weaker. And at the winter solstice in uh, 1988, I took part in a sweat lodge ceremony, which is a Native American ceremony of purification and release. And during that ceremony, I got up weaker and weaker and literally went into the, the sweat lodge in the dark, 
came out in the light on winter solstice morning and the first thing i did was was vomit like green vomit which was, nice. was very pleasant okay <laughs> totally naked lying there on the ground before that i'd gone through this process of, of getting really re- psychologically getting pulled apart um and i went through this amazing experience whereby i, I went in through this tunnel and saw this amazing male and female figure in a place with trees that weren't really trees and it was such a wonderful place and then suddenly that jolted back and I was coming out of the sweat lodge, as I said, vomiting. And then I rose up in the mud and I saw a kestrel flying towards me, not physical kestrel, energy kestrel. It hit the heart and then it's like, I am kestrel. And that's when the name came. And when that happened, which was like a sort of, like a death rebirth initiation, really, suddenly I could control the gifts that I had. And then from that point, I worked with it. I was already doing healing on a small scale, but then I started to really, really work with it, work with the seeing. Um, then eventually met Jay. So that was sort of my strand of how it worked for me. Absolutely. So I didn't choose the name Kestrel. You know, it, it, <laughs> it's me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've got, I've, I have some follow-up questions, but I'd love to hear what um, Jay's, how Jay, Jay's journey came about also. But very different... Mine was far more harrowing. I don't really want to go into the details, no point. My life became really different. And from going from helping people with their visions with an opt- optical point of view, I became, I don't know, growing into the skills I had. Then she met Kestrel and moved into my place as being a healer. So it's a difficult story for me to tell because it's not quite as open. Mine's a bit more closed and personal. A bit like a jay, the energy of the bird a jay. Now you see him, now you don't. Now she'll tell you, then she won't. It was a traumatic so it was a traumatic experience that led me to this massive initiation, which led me then to find out anything spiritual I could sow, anything I could eat that was spiritual, anything I could use that could, could grow on. Uh, yeah, but healing was the key. That was all I wanted to do was help people. All I wanted to do was to help them become more whole, to understand the mind, to understand the body, the spiritual, mental, emotional, physical self. So, yeah, a bit of a long story, mine. I have, of course, I respect that and I understand. Um, But obviously a lot of people um, will, this is why I'm interested in shamanism, is because I think that many of us have become detached and it's our disconnection from nature, inner and outer, that is the cause of much malady and psychosis. I sort of intuit that a lot of mental illness is people reaching for sacred and super material connection like trying to understand things that are sort of beyond rationalism and beyond the realm of the senses and i feel that the more that we you know we talked about the origins of shamanism of course being in um more traditional arcane communities tribal communities and i have a sense that the same way that we are discovering with nutrition that much or like the establishment of a healthy diet could be seen as a kind of mimicking of the conditions we're evolved for, which has a pretty rational and scientific basis. If we evolved eating these type of foods at this type of year in these type of quantities and we weren't able to access this type of foods, then obviously that, that that's the kind of diet that's going to be beneficial to us, vegetables, fruits, whatever. Um, and I wonder if the same is true psychic, psychically, if we ought be rep- replicating in a te- you know technologically advanced society where you and I or where the three of us are having this conversation via you know the internet it, nonetheless we still crave and require that kind of uh, connection to our origin to our indigenous life and, and, and much of your belief in shamanism it seems other than personal experience comes from seeing the corollary and connections between different shamanic traditions that are, are totally dislocated uh, geographically and yet have sort of common goals common techniques common traditions and and, and what i recognize is a lot of people that will be sort of cynical about like what do you mean you know like like it's just hocus pocus woo woo crystals claptrap like how how we can sort of make it, um, how, how it can be vivified, how we can make that connection between the ordinary lives of people that are today suffering from, as you say, depression, addiction, despair, loneliness, and, and, and what it is that you guys do. Well, I think in a way it's a lot, you know, shamanism is so linked in with nature yes. and the spiritual reality of nature. 
And, you know, there's studies going on showing about how beneficial it is for mental well-being, physical well-being to be out in nature. Even doctors are prescribing, mm. you know, go for a walk in nature. You know, and on our groups, we take people that are living in the cities and stuff. Mm. They're all a bit stressed. And then Detached. we take people just actually take people out into the natural kingdom and just being there for a start calms them down. And then when we do certain exercises, maybe connecting with trees and plants and just coming into the moment with what's the senses and where one is it reconnects the person with nature we like the word communion you come into a communion with those natural forces and so you're opening mm. your heart connecting in and those energies are, are giving back to you it's like a, a giving and receiving and i think that is what people are so separated from mm. is that connection with nature and that simplicity because you, you know really I believe all true spirituality is simple. It's yeah. that simple way of connecting into that heart, connecting into that communion, making that link. And yeah, and, and I feel it is important to honour traditions of, of the land that you're in, so long mm. as you're also open to you know feeling into other ways as well. People are yearning to be part of something, part of a tribe, part of a, a culture, part of a society. And shamanism offers all of that because it is within all it is as we said at the very beginning it is found in all different traditions in all different cultures and it's a remembrance of who we were it's a remembrance yeah. of where we've come from it's a remembrance that you you know the earth is there you're not just going to work in a car or on a bus and forgetting but as you mm. said everyone is so detached yeah. but i i feel when we use the word everyone that's a sort of negative connotation because more people are waking up if you want yeah. to use that too more people are getting told to go to nature whether you're suffering from mental illness or depression or any of those other things that people have, why is it being such a distant thing? Why is it becoming such a new thing when it was so old? Yeah. It isn't mm. an, a new thing, is it? It's an old thing. And yes, some people say, well, I go in nature, it makes me feel more lonely. But then we help them with different ways of how to be in nature. Yeah. It's about being. We are human beings after all, you know, but everybody's a human doing constantly. So it's about being. And that's what I feel, we feel shamanism helps you to remember who you were, to bring your soul back home, to come back into your body with all of those things, with the oneness, mm. with the grand, the grand connection to the divine, the source, uh, the gods, the goddess, whatever word you choose to use or can use. And it's just to remember, yeah. as simple as that, and as Keshul said, it's a simplicity, is that's where we come from. And if you were saying about scientists or people say it's woo-woo, then I challenge them to come and see and feel what it feels like and to be nurtured and to be held in a space where, first of all, we can have people that are tough army guys, nothing wrong, the army's brilliant, protects and so on, folding their arms, yeah, my wife sent me. And then, okay, and they're talking to them through the consultation, you see the arms dropping down and they're like, well, why have you come here then? Perhaps I might say, well, my wife sent me, but, and then you can see the posture changing and then they sit back in the chair and the experience just goes into some other place. Yeah, I, maybe you could go to a psychologist and get them be questioned for half an hour. But this is, we're giving healing energy. We're giving our healing ability, the time, the space, the sacredness that that person is, seeing as someone as an individual and everything they've gone through. They're not just their story. So this is what shamanism does. You'd have gone to the tribal leader, if you want, or the shaman the witch doctor, all those words that people have. You'd have sat with them in fear. In those days, they're a bit more in fear because shamans always live at the outside of town. They'd never have them in the town because they're too scared of them. So they would go and then they would sit and not even look at their faces and unwind in that way and see what the shaman's mm. got to say. We've been in places where, some places in, in Siberia, where the shaman sat there with all the lovely gear on. He's told the person, go and sit and touch that bear ornament. Person's gone, and then they thrashed him with this stuff. And it's like, thank you very much, that's 5,000, whatever. <laughs> and off we go, just like, okay. But yeah. that is because their belief system's so strong that that shaman is gonna help them. Yeah. They're going out of there and they feel elated. They feel ready to start something else. Or what have you. So this not the ancient word is used, the tribal word is used, but it isn't so different to every day. On our work, we like to be very grounded, you know, and it's like yeah. people come back to us years later. So what we do, it must be working, unless <laughs> people can come back. You know? No. What would you do then if someone comes to do? You, is it do you work along lines of gender? Because I remember when we came and saw you, I saw Kestrel, my wife saw 
J. How did uh, how how do you how do you di- diagnose and practice? and make a determ- determine what you're going to do in a session, say? <laughs> First of all, I think it's because I thought it was just we, I think we handed it over to who wants to go with who, but then it was became, well, I don't know, who's going with who? So we then took the power to say, you go with him, you go with it. <laughs> and that'll be that. I think that was genuinely... Sometimes in relation opposite, uh, the same sex can be a good way of working. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we work over yeah. that the I nurture more of the male... And Kessel might nurture them all the female from a sort of motherly, fatherly energy. But if I had a, a person come to me, hmm. I would often suggest, because I have, if you can remember, like the seeing, the higher perception, which is the kind of reading that I do, where I basically look into a person and I'm, I'm really feeling into a map of, of their life and they can ask questions within that. And then that particular map can be revealed things that are in there that are blocked. Hmm. And then... I would suggest, and if they're up to it, then we would look at using various different healing modalities to go yeah. into whatever one is right for them. Some people it might be regression, some people it would be just literally working with energy, sound, working with extraction, which is literally pulling blocks straight out without any of the psychological stuff, literally seeing, you know, energy that's stuck that mm. needs to go or bringing the soul back or a combination of those particular ways. But because we've got that sort of seeing skill, we can sort of work on that particular level with people as well. And a lot of shamanism is about bringing the power back, yeah. bringing one's power back. However that manifests for them, a lack of power can lead to a stagnant life, a depressive state, an inward state, no motivation to go out and find or even seek help. So this is what shamanism does. It brings that power home. It brings the soul force back into the body so you can start to rebuild yourself again if you want. Because at this time in this world, we're being dismembered at this very moment, aren't we? The whole consciousness of society is that we are being pulled apart. And that's really strong in shamanism, dismemberment. It is all about pulling all the structures, pulling all the political things, pulling all the people away. And what are we going to do now? We're going to have to rebuild in some form. And so we are helping mm. people to rebuild themselves in that way, I guess. Yeah. What about the stuff with animals and sort of totemism? You know, what, like we've talked a lot about like uh, hares and like, see, you know, what you sort of looking for and reading meaning from sort of say trees or plants or animals. How, how, how is that system determined? We've just finished a weekend actually on our second year training called omens. omens yeah <laughs> oh yeah go on what happens in that <laughs> Ooh, many things. Well, in that we get we teach people how to connect into messages from nature and there are whole mm. ways of doing so to do with what a bird or an animal means which direction it comes from having a certain meaning so it's applying a map mm. where people can understand it but also it, with animals we work with what are called power animals or spirit animals or animal fetches where literally every person have these animals and they basically, on the one hand, you could say they're like guardian spirits in an animal form, but on the other hand, they are like an essence of the soul in animal form. Like my name, Kestrel, obviously I've got a connection to Kestrels, okay? Kestrel, Fulco, Tanunculus, a falcon, bird, you can see hovering, okay? And... Basically, those animals and birds, they are physical things, but they are also their spirit forces that are manifesting in that physical form. So for me, with Kestrel, the Kestrel hovers to see the whole picture. So when I'm doing one of those high perception readings, I'm seeing the whole picture of that person. And then the Kestrel comes down on that vole or mouse, whatever it catches. Okay, that's me. I hone in on certain things when I'm doing healing. It's where I'm working on on the whole the person coming in to get blocks out, etc., in a, in, when we're teaching, it's looking at the whole group and then it's like linking that energy. And so in a way, I'm using that particular energy and it's no great mystery. It's just what the, the bird does in physical reality applied in other realms because the Kestrel hovers to see and then it hunts. So everybody's power animal or animals represents aspects of them that they may be aware of or maybe yet to be aware of. Sometimes the spirit animals or the animals of power, whatever word one feels comfortable with, 
can represent your wild side yeah. and some people's wild side. And I don't mean wild run around naked, if that's your thing, fair enough. I mean wild as in the inner one, the one who can be in the wilderness, because that's where the wild comes from, or the one that can let go of the ego and transcend it. So the animals of spirit or the power animals can help us to reconnect with our, those parts of ourselves. Everybody's had synchronicities, signs from nature with animals, whether it be... Um, they saw a tiger in the zoo and they were little and something really time stood still and they connected to it as it did for me and then the tiger came home and sat on my bed not physically but it was there for three days and luckily enough my parents said yes it's okay he won't hurt you so they humored me but it really helped me to know that there was a skill beyond so everybody has these animals of power that you relate to whether it's a cat a dog but it's usually something very wild, like a raven or a hare or something along those lines that we need to recapture. They're messages from the weird, which is what we all have, the web of weird, that send us signals to say, hang on, yeah. maybe you need to look at this in yourself or maybe yeah. you need to slow down or maybe you need to speed up and get on the case and do more. Or it's more. a warning, possibly. Or it's yeah. a warning, yeah. 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 So that's what power animals are in a simplistic way of speaking about them. The idea of the weird is uh, weird. Spoke of uh, why is that the, there's an invisible interconnected web of uh, sort of energy connecting all of us, which sort of has corollaries in. Uh, I don't know. A lot of people think that all matter comes from a kind of unified field, and that there is interconnectivity between all things. Um, I'm interested in the way, like you know, given you said that course was called omens and stuff, about how you read like say i figure that if sort of you came downstairs or don't know where your bedroom is and that's frankly Upstairs. your private Upstairs. business <laughs> or if you came downstairs and the uh, there was <laughs> if you came downstairs and there was a crow in your house i feel like you'd really take that to heart or if there was a fox you'd think right there's a fox in the house like well so like like and how well so say something like that happens because i gotta tell you even though like look i like to because i suppose i in my head i'm tr sort of continually prepared for an argument and it's a good job i am because i'm always in them <laughs> but, but like uh, like so if i like so for me i'm like uh, but i am very open to like you know if i see an animal i respond to it i think oh right they've like i see hair relatively frequently somewhat because of where i live but and you know but birds coming into our house somewhat injured and involuntarily because of our cats often you know <laughs> like so but i'm very aware of anything that happens with nature like carl jung says anything that happens in my life that i did not plan for this i uh, see is the language of god and like so i always look out for it but how do you sort of interpret specifically and also, how do you stop yourself going superstitious and mad? <laughs> okay. Because yeah, everything's well, a sign. The, the art is re of reading omens yeah. is to know when it is an omen and when it isn't. You know, when it is literally a crow <clears throat> warning you of something that you have to release, or it's just a crow doing its crow thing. Whether it is a kestrel that's giving me a message of something that I need to be aware of, or whether it's just a kestrel that's doing its kestrel thing, there is a, there is an art to sort of working with that some of the time it's what's going on with in the person's head at that time you could be really pondering something and then you get one of these signs that take place okay it could be that a person is very very stuck on their path mm. and that crow is knocking on that window saying like you need to wake up it's not really going to realize. say you need to wake up but yeah. you need to read it yeah. Yeah. as it is saying yeah. you need to wake up so it, and in a way that, that it's sort of the more, I guess, intention you put into it and understanding that web and how it works, the more you can work with it. But, you know, you live in Glastonbury, a great place, but there are some people that literally go around that everything <laughs> is a sign or an omen. What should I have for tea? Oh, there's a bird. You know, that. It's like, what should, yeah, what should I have for tea? What should I get from Morrison's today? You know, it's like, but in a way, in a serious way, it's like when it really connects it. In a way, omens and signs are slightly different. Signs happen more frequently. Omens are a bit more... You know, signs you have a personal choice of making. Omens are almost like showing you something that is really yeah. going to happen. And there's a skill, right. and that's what we teach, is a skill of how to look. It takes a long mm. time. And how to differ, how to differentiate between what yeah. is a sign and what is just an everyday occurrence. Yeah. Normally, it slows down. Yeah. The animal may look you in the face a little bit more. Yeah. It might be relevant to exactly what you were thinking before. Yeah. You might have even asked. Most people these days say, God, I need a bloody sign. I could do with something to show me. 
uh. what to do next or whatever. Mm. And that could be something that leads you into that's right. And then so then from that, you need to learn the skill in the natural history of yeah. the habits of the different animals. You've got to identify them. You know? Yeah. Because there's lots of things about, but they, a lot of them are to do with um, American animals and so on. But it's more to do with this country, because we, we're in this country, learning what the natural side of that animal does in, in its natural yeah. habitat to then decipher the sign. So it takes a lot of experience, but it's worth it. And you get to commune with nature. It's another way of communing. Yeah, yeah and I suppose it sort of encourages a reverence for nature in the acknowledgement of our connection to it and the well we're all god's the... creatures aren't we everything is god's creature so everything has a message yeah. of some description whether it be an ant going by in a certain way or a human that might just look at us a certain way and bring that moment to yeah i feel loved or i feel passion or i feel whatever it is we're all god's creatures as you would say when that uh when you were talking before about like connecting with like your inner wildness it made me feel like that <clears throat> all of us have got cultivated personas that have been drawn out by life experience, by memory, by trauma, by the various paths we've taken, by the, the type of cultural uh, pro programming that we've received. But beyond that, behind that, there is an awareness, a kind of an innate, untouched character, maybe not even character, but a kind of an awareness that's still there, something that is beyond the construction. And I feel that the same way as we're, you know, like you said earlier, Jay, just driving along in a car, not really aware that you're on Earth in limitless space and that our life is lived to scale. There's the world of the subparticular where all the rules of physics fall apart. There's the vastness of the cosmos. There's the various perspectives available to animals with different sensory experiences to us. And we forget the sort of complexity of reality while living in a sort of a very sort of streamlined narrative that relates more to the ego than any kind of higher self-perception. It seems that it's important to um, develop an, a, 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 a dialogue with nature. I had this swan come to the garden. It was a bloody great big thing, you know, and it felt like such sacredness to have this swan interact with us and stuff. It was really big, but swans are pretty hardcore, aren't they? In the end, it got a bit too close, and I'm afraid I had to get quite martial with it. And then and another occasion before the birth, yeah, luckily, it's when I realised, oh, it's a good job that um, as a higher ape, I can pick up this broom <laughs> and create some distance. Um, my children were with me. Um, <clears throat> also, before my first child was born, like we, I dreamt, I think I told you guys this because around the time we were talking a lot, I, dr I dreamt about a peacock and woke up and there was a pea hen in our garden. That ain't like a normal thing to happen. Like I was like, I dreamt about this. I dreamt about this. I mean, I suppose ultra rational folk would go, now you must have heard some noise as you were drifting in and out of it. but it's not just such an unusual thing i never seen one before or since it felt like a kind of message and when i and the moment when my um wife told me well, well didn't tell me because we were in the room together when she did a test to, to confirm that her pregnancy i went to meditate and i saw a kingfisher dive and i saw it i'd never seen this before or since i saw a kingfisher dive get a fish perch on a branch and then just sort of flew off you know and it really sort of for me mirrored the kind of idea of how particular it is for there to be a pregnancy and stuff it's the yeah. symbolism it's the the connection as you said the simplistic connection to what we have we forget we get it all mental we get all connected to theories and physics which is amazing and mind-blowing but we do need to be more basic more simple more wild at heart more free that's what people are yearning for I don't know whether mm. statistics are going to really free people up. I think <laughs> that being in connection with the oneness, in being in connection with what is true and what is really happening, will aid people to be stronger, to be more harmonious, to have a greater sense of community, because that's what people really want. As you said, that's a yearning that they really have inside. And I remember that peahen incident because it yes. was like, I think we were coming to teach you that course. And it was like mm. hanging around the on roof, the wasn't roof. it? And you said about, I remember you said about that dream, yeah. So that was like really, like yeah. when things come from the dream realm to this realm, that shows something really big is happening. You know, there's a real uh. big connection there. And the peacock well. is a sacred bird of India. Yeah. It's one of the, the most beautiful presented, but the peahen is the female yeah. version of it. Yeah. So yeah, it was a powerful symbol for The Nepalese shamans use fans made of peacock feathers to spell evil spirits out of people's yeah. bodies. 
So it's preparing oh, your voice. space with no evil spirits in it, ready for your daughter's birth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Thank God it needed doing. Like, I feel like, um, I mean, I try to remain in um, conversation with the sacred. I try to be aware of the limitations of my own understanding uh, uh, of the amount of bias I carry, the amount of programming. You know, what I take to be myself is often a kind of a conglomeration of troops programming and experience. And I suppose shamanism, as you sort of said earlier, is a way of returning to this unlived and wild life. Do you guys do uh, plant medicine type stuff? We have worked with plant medicine. We have gone to Peru working with ayahuasca. We have worked with sacred mushrooms in this land. But mostly the way that we work is not using those particular aids because even though they are important and they can be, also you can then rely on that energy to take you to to some place. Mm. And it's almost like it's all become very fashionable as well. You know, so many people are taking ayahuasca and there's good shamans out there, but there are people out there that just rip people off. And we've had a lot of people come to us that have had psychotic episodes with ayahuasca and we've had to bring them back together again. Really? Because it has to be held in such a sacred and deep way. The, The land has to be sacred, the energy of the brew and so forth has to be done in that way. And you need real traditional shamans to do that in the land where it came from. There's, there's not, for us, we don't really go with the fact of bringing ayahuasca. I think it's still illegal to do that anyway. People Just do, we don't. <laughs> to other lands, <laughs> promise we don't. Um, we don't, because the potency is there. The potency is in the land. Yeah. If you go to take the vine, you go to chop it, you go to do all the rituals that go with it. It's a far different experience than chuck it in a bottle and shoving it and taking it around the back somewhere. I'm thinking that you're being shamanic. Uh, for us, or, that doesn't work. But or, also, e- even in Peru and places, it's become very fashionable. So you it get has. these so-called shamans that put out these big websites and they have about 50 people at a ceremony and that. And it just becomes, it loses something. Well, I particularly be teaching for one. Of course, person, when I went on my journey there, I went to Peru, I went to the Amazon. I put out the intention. I found this really, like, rough shaman, but he was a real shaman and, and went to this place where there was just like, you know, broken glass everywhere and stuff. But no, I had that ceremony. Not again, you? No. Oh, thank goodness for that. A ceremony, but it was like just me and the shaman. He did loads of healing on me, and it felt really genuine. Yeah. But those sorts of tools, you know, ayahuasca is quite a hard teacher. It's definitely not for And there's everybody. a sacred song, they're called Icaros, and you need to know them to be able to lead the person into the depth yeah. of the ayahuasca ceremony and so forth. And... Some people make them up, some people learn them, I'm sure, but we don't use them, we don't teach with them. It takes up to 21 years to learn these these sacred yeah. because when you're going through that process, there's a point where basically, dismemberment again, you, you, your ego gets dismembered and you, you can, you're going to freak. And when you're freaking, you focus on the chant and it takes you through that chaos into uh. the beautiful place. If that chant isn't being done or, it, or that place isn't safe, people get stuck in that in-between place. And, and then, that's like the people that we've seen. And that that's who we've yeah. tended to have rescued. Yeah. So I mean, it is, it's a, it, it has a place. It's not a particular way that we use very much. But no. yeah, it's become a, a little bit fashionable. And There's yeah. other ways to reach ecstasy yeah. Yeah. than for, for us, not for everybody, than taking ayahuasca or some Pedro or, or the other power plants. Yeah. So you can use meditation, you can use the chant, you can use journeys, yeah. you can use the drum, yeah. and all those ways can you can reach Works that, altered, sound, that yeah. altered state. So yeah. that's that's how we teach and that's how we work with it, really. Yeah, a lot of these things have been uh, is a word I like deracinated, uprooted from their uh, tradition, and just sort of. And I feel that's true with, like you know, the mindfulness movement. It's like oh, you know, just do this meditation; it will make you better at your job rather than this meditation will make you realise that there's no point to your job. (laughs) (laughs) Finish that job. Or any job. (laughs) It weakens the thread, it weakens the line, it weakens the the drug, it weakens the... the, Because it's also part of the... the Ayahuasca is part of the jungle. And if you take that away from the jungle, you take away from some of its power. So you've got all the sons of cicadas, the animals, the creatures. And then that stillness that occurs. So for us, that isn't a way which we go with, but we do understand it has... We've worked with it. That was in the past. Yeah. 
That we, was, we that was for our own journeys, yeah. not to share with other people. No. Yeah. You do that sound stuff and all, hey? I think I remember that before. Yeah, yeah sound is the yeah. one of the most profound things you can do. It's the first thing they listen for when you're born as a child, and it's the last thing we do when you exhale on that last breath, and it's all sound. And sound can get into things quicker mm. than anything. That's why we go, shh, to stop our children doing something that might be a bit difficult, or to shh. It's yeah. all tools to use for yeah, sound. Yeah, we, we work with what we call more breath sounds, some vocal sounds, and then we work with tone sounds. Mm. And they just take another dimension into the healing work, really. They, they totally bypass the mind part, get in there, do what they need to do. Everybody knows how music is so healing. Music takes you to that space of escape. It brings you back into your body to dance. It can, and sound is derivatory from music. The swan is actually a mute swan, but it's derivatory from the word sound. The word yeah, swan, swan means sound, yeah. Yeah. So it, it is a, a unique way of working and bringing us back to whole, wholeness or wholeness. Holistic, should we say, holistic being. Also, sometimes people are, they're with us, are very stuck on the mind. And they're yes. on the catch, yes. you do a couple of sounds and they, they've totally gone. What was that? Knocks the mind out of the way. Yeah. And like, you can get in there and do the work. Yeah. You're such beautiful people. It's so lovely to see you both. I'm just looking at you, even on a screen. I'm reminded of so many um, happy and beautiful occasions. I really value the way that you see the world and the way that you find uh, poetry and connection and healing and grace and beauty in the natural world and, and your mission to elevate it and to bring it to as many people as possible. I really respect that. Thank you both of you for sharing the time. Beautiful memories as well. So many times you've shared such open-hearted times yeah. in your presence with your friends, your family, and it's brought us to tears because this, we've had such real open memories too. So thank you so much. And we feel honored yeah. to be in your company yeah. and your friends, your family and Laura. Yeah. So yeah, ditto, likewise. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Kesha. I hope we get to hang out again soon and do some real shamanic stuff and really That's conjure up some verdant energy. Yeah, pound out some beats. Yeah, yeah, yeah get beats. out there. Call the swans, or maybe not. <laughs> no, don't call the swans. <laughs> oh, you're really beautiful people. Well, thanks for listening to Under the Skin with Jay and Kestrel Oakwood. Let me know what you thought of it on Instagram or tweet me at Rusty Rockets with a hashtag under the skin. You know how to communicate and sign up to the mailing list because we're using that to do live gigs, gigs online. What are you looking like that for, Jim? What did you tighten your face up for? What are you planning? <laughs> Why do you buy every time I see you wearing a new hat? Who no, are no, you? Like, you're like, you're like Elton platform. John. <laughs> you are. What are you going to start wearing platforms next? What's no. next from you? Anyway, if you enjoyed that, and well done, Charlie, for when you select the people for next to, like, if you like this, you might like. Because they're actually relevant, not chosen Mine arbitrarily. Were relevant too. You didn't do this. I, I used can to tell. Do it and they were relevant. Bollocks. Wendy Mandy. She's good. Emma Kenny, lovely person. Eddie Stern, brilliant yoga t teacher. Keep checking my YouTube channel daily for new videos. I didn't mean to say bollocks in a rude way there, Jen. <laughs> I meant bollocks really lovingly. That's never... Bollocks can't be loving. <laughs> can't they, Jen? And keep... Uh, yeah, check out... Anyway, thank you for listening to Under the Skin from Luminary.